and welcome to another very exciting Civilizations in Review. My name is Ben. I'm one of the co-founders of Alphusaic, and I'm very excited to jump into this fascinating ancient city empire today, the Carchemish Empire. Um, with me is a, a fantabulous co-moderator, Andy Mond, um, content writer extraordinaire, and has been helping with the fellowship program. So, so excited to have your insights with us. And our wonderful content writer, Pilar, um, all the way from Spain, to chat about this fabulous uh, slice of history. Um, we'll start with the 101 word intro in just a moment that Andy will read, and then we will dive into the mysteries and excitement of this article. But just as a reminder, we are live streaming this to Facebook currently, and we'll cross post this to our YouTube, our Instagram, our website, and our Spotify account so you can engage with it all. I will also say though that the best way to engage with it is directly on our website alfusaic.net because you can read all of the details of the articles, see all the hyperlinks. This empire has many allies and rivals. You can read all the rest related to it and more. So welcome, excited to learn about this empire and I'll throw it to Andy to read the 101 word intro. Thank you, Ben. I was so excited to like read about Karkamish because I feel like it's one of those empires that you actually hear about a lot. It pops up in like lore and so many different people's histories. So the 101 word intro goes a little something like this. The city of Carchemish was situated in Northern Syria and it has been the point of encounter and conjunction of many important empires such as the Hittites, Assyrians and Mitanni. In the 18th century BCE, Carchemish was already recognized as an independent city and it played an essential role in ancient Near Eastern history. Carchemish was of great interest among empires for being an important trade and military crossing for its political importance and for its remarkable architecture. The decisive battle of Carchemish in 605 BCE is one of the most crucial occurrences that affected the city and the entire region. And so thank you Pilar for not only writing that amazing 101 word intro, but also all of the different facets that go along with the Civilizations 101 um, topic. So with that said, I wanted to ask you a little question. Okay. What was your favorite part about doing the research for Carchemish? Well, um, I guess that what it was most interesting for me was the Battle of Carchemish itself, because there's a lot of happening in there. So you can see how the kings, you know, the rivalries between the kings and the kingdoms and how everything ends. And then you have suddenly someone appear out of nowhere and start fighting with another of it. So you have a lot, a lot of like a mixture of a lot of different empires in the same moment, historical moment, doing like random things, they put it that way. So it has been very interesting to find out what really happened uh, at that time and what was that, what, what, why that was so important in the history of the Middle, of, of the Middle East, yeah, as we know today, the Middle East. That's yeah. so incredible. Yeah, the, the only thing I knew about this is the mega battle, which I think we'll get to in a bit. I, I want to build up to yeah. why this battle was so, so, so crucial. Um, but yeah, just like Andy mentioned, this is one of the ones I, I knew of before. I knew it as the site of a battle, not really that the empire existed mm -hmm. along with it. So yeah, thank you, thank you for making this, you know, uh, part of our site now. This is so much better for everyone's knowledge. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. No, please go for it. I mean, it, it's very. It was the same for me. I just knew the the history of the battle, 
but I didn't know how many, you know, like settlements, how, how many different settlements uh, in the city uh, you could find and how the interactions and the dynamics, you know, the social dynamics, the trade system they had. It's quite yeah. interesting, honestly. Yeah, that I think is also one of the things that you wrote about in the modern influence is the fact that like the trade and the infrastructure that they had in their city was discovered by archaeologists and that was used to really infer a lot about history. And I think one of the conversations that's been happening recently is where do archaeological artifacts belong? Do they belong with the folks who found and took them outside of their countries? Or do they belong in their home country? And I think, you know, we haven't really spoken about the Middle East or Near East as um, technically Syria is and what their cultural artifacts and their cultural influence in this sphere has done. And so I, I loved seeing that in the modern influences section, um, even without that second part. But, um, but when you, but when, when you look, when I looked at like the hydro, hydraulic, because words yeah. are not, hydraulic revolution, <laughs> I was like, wait, I've only ever heard about Rome's water system. Yeah. What's happening in Carchemish? Yeah, this, it's true. There's not like a lot of information about that, about Carchemish being super involved in that, but it makes sense. And I wanted, you know, people to read about it because it makes sense. Carchemish was a city located just next to the Euphrates. So that at the end of the day, it makes sense that Carchemish was one of the main cities transporting and facilitating this kind of infrastructure, like, you know, for improving at the end of the day, the quality of life of the neighborhood, of the neighboring cities. So yeah, I don't know. I thought it was like something curious that nobody knew. I didn't know. I didn't know. So yeah. I thought it was something, you know, remarkable to say about Carcavis. I agree. I love when we are able to see history from various perspectives. We mm -hmm. much more often than not, history starts and ends with Rome. It takes a break and then all of a sudden it picks up with the British Empire. Um, yeah. And so to, to like read about the hydraulic revolution. Ooh, Look, she said it in one go that time. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Um, so that I agree with you. Um, and then one of the other things that really kind of struck out to me was just to your point, the amount of interest in this region and the amount of well-known players who were there, like the Hittites and the Assyrians mm -hmm. and the everybody. So in doing your research for Karkamish, did you have any kind of connection to their rivals and their allies, or was that your first time delving into them as well? Yeah, well, the, the first thing I noticed was that Carchemish was a city that influenced the area for such a long period of time that you just cannot, you know, there's a lot of information. You cannot just retain all that information. So for me, it was easier to just do what you said, like, okay, this empire was here for this period. Then this one, this, this other empire came and you know destroy the other one and, and so like at the beginning you have three main empires who are the Mitanni, the Hittites and the Egyptians who were the, the the three main ones yes from this I think it was the seventh century to the 13th century basically the Mitannis uh, were trying to well were trying to yeah they were supporting Carchemis let's put it that way Carchemis wanted to stop the Hittites to go inside the city. So they create this kind of alliance with the, uh, with the Mitanni. But eventually, you know, I mean, the Hiti empire was a powerful empire, so they conquered the city. And 
surprisingly, I mean, surprisingly and not surprisingly, uh, when the Hittite Empire uh, was destroyed because the Egyptians um, entered into the city, the city was like kind of a neo-Hittite cultural place, you know? They invaded the city, they didn't want them in, but once they, you know, disappear of the place, the cultural heritage remains there. And the Karkinese people was like really um, invested in keeping that uh, historical uh, heritage. And well, um, I think most of the kings that um, were in Karkinese by the time the, the, the city was ruled by itself were Hiti, Hiti king or descendant of Hiti kings. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, it's curious how, you know, dynamics works at the end of the day. And, and yeah, and one of the other most interest, interesting uh, empires, I can say, were the Assyrians for sure. You can say they were like super violent and like, <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna say what it's mine and I don't care. And now you're gonna have to, you're gonna pay me more because I say so, you know? So I don't know, yeah. the dynamics that they, you know, create were very interesting. Yeah, it really is. It, it, it's so fascinating just to sort of hear Karkamish's like really central role in these mega empires at the time. Yeah. Um, I, and again, I, I know we're, we're leading up to this battle, but I still don't want to get there yet because I think there's so many parts to just the city of Karkamish and its trade and uh, hydraulic system and everything else that is um, really unique, really, for, for the region and for the time period. I mean, they probably built off of their trade with Rome, learning those systems and seemingly elevated it for their own. I, I don't know, that's my assumption just reading your article, but if you know more, please, please jump in. Um, but I'm just so interested, um, really, as you have mentioned all of this, um, in, in the trading component, in how they, uh, in even the main picture of Karkamish, excuse me, um, are these like deities that were being traded, this metalwork, gold, vessels, just all of these fabulous things that they really seem to be a, center of this trade route of you know ancient mm -hmm. uh northern syria turkey reach anatolia um tell me more about uh the trade that you you saw in all your research yeah well basically they trade with literally everything yeah. like everything they because they have like the i think it was the anatolia um mine like metal deposit sorry very close and in fact the Hiti empire had its capital in anatolia so it makes sense that they have an easy access to that uh, deposit so they were like um they were very good with gold like they were exporting luxury um, goods to the assyrians for example so uh, with metals they had also uh, like very fertile um lands so they were constantly you know they had like these big markets where all the passengers because at the end of the day carcanis was at a, 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 a cross a uh, highway um, for the west to the east and the other way around. So literally all the, 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 the food, the metals, the basalts, uh, bronze, they, they just create and they, they got economic reward for literally everything. So. Yeah. It's just funny that you mentioned that like the Assyrians were one of their biggest customers for lack of a better phrase, yeah. but it's kind of like they bit the hand that fed them because the Assyrians, according to your economic section in Karkamish 101, is like they tried to raise how much Karkamish was paying them. Yeah. And so why, why would I do that? If I'm getting pretty things from you, I want to continue to get the goods. So do you have any like 
assumptions or ideas about what could have led to that. Maybe it was a failed relationship or something. Yeah, apparently, like, apparently, um, Carchemis was one of the most, one of the richest city uh, in the region. So you could tell because of the metals that they have, how, well, yeah, wealthier at the end of the day, they were wealthier than the rest of the cities. So uh, I think it was Sargon II. I think it yeah. was Sargon II, I might be wrong. Uh, the, the Assyrian king uh, just decided that because they were wealthier, they have to contribute with the bigger, you know, tax. And obviously, Pisidius, who was at that time the king of Carchemis, didn't uh, agree with that. And that was one of the big mistakes because after he complained about that, uh, Sargon just accused him of being, you know, breaking oaths and conspiring with another king against him. And that's what, that's when the Assyrian said, okay, that's the end. Now we're going in and we're going to, you know, attack you with everything we, we have. And that's when this city was not completely destroyed, but uh, Carchemis would never, will never recover from what the Assyrians did from that point. So, yeah, that's so unfortunate because also <laughs> history is just full of so much drama. I love it. It, I love it has. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny to me that, you know, I'm wondering how long did the Assyrians kind of have an influence in Carchemish? that it was the Hittite empire that really influenced the culture and that was the culture that they retained even as they moved forward. Um, so what was like the comparison in terms of time for how long those influences were available, I guess, or rather present in Carchemish? And the Hittites were in Carchemish, I think it was during the, and until the 14th century. Um, and the Assyrians didn't arrive until the 11th century, I guess it was. But the influence that they had was really different. While the Hittites were, you know, at least what I read about it, the Hittites were more like trying to integrate uh, all the exi already existing cultures with their own culture. The Assyrians were not that nice. And they literally said like, okay, so now we won. Now we're going to put an Assyrian governor in the city. There's not going to be more, you know, local dynasties ruling Carchemis. And to top it off, we are going to take Carchemis population and we're going to expel them, of, uh, expel out of the city. And we're going to repopulate the city with Assyrian citizens. So yeah, both, both the empires had like a very important influence at the end of the day, culturally speaking. I mean, literally the Assyrians were the end of Carchemis. Let's put it yeah. that way. Uh, but in a very different, in a very different way, yeah. Assyrians were not like nice with, with the Carchemish people. No. Does not seem like it. No, they were. That's how they treated a whole bunch of other empires too. So that kind of tracks. Um, yeah, basically, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tracks. Yeah, that's probably why we know them super well as well because they put their hands everywhere. Oh, yeah. Syria. <laughs> um, savages. Yeah, wild. Um, it's so fascinating, though, the the like contrast to being such a rich center for trade, you know, resources, architecture, history, um, probably also led to their downfall in, in some ways. Um, and we've been teasing our audience enough. I think it's time to talk about the battle. Um, <laughs> so uh, this, we're kind of leading up to it anyways, with all these key players and in, in ancient empires and, you know, desire for this this land and resources. Tell us everything that you can about the Battle of Carchemish. Okay. 
I'm going to try to summarize it. <laughs> Go um, for it. <laughs> uh, I mean, the Battle of Carchemist was basically um, um, an event um, whom, which made the Egyptians uh, a, face the Egyptians against the Babylonian in an epic confrontation. Um, first of all, the um, Babylonians were already taking like a lot of the surrounding territories, not the Assyrian territory or the Egyptian territories, but the surrounding territories. So they threat or the Assyrians felt the threat of the Babylonians coming for them too. The Babylonians took, uh, it, it was, I'm just thinking right now, it was not a feeling, it was an actual you know, fact. Uh, the Babylonians took uh, the capital of the Assyrians. So the Assyrians have to, who was, I don't know how to pronounce the name, Nanive, I think it's spelled. Um, so they have, yeah. So they have to move then the capital to Haran, but the Babylonians take, I mean, took Haran again. So they have to move the capital again to Carchemis. So they were seeing like, okay, these people are coming. Uh, we are not enough. You know, they outnumber us, so we have to do something. So they ask for help um, to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians were also fearing the Babylonians advan advance. So they say, okay, we're gonna, you know make an alliance and we're going to try to support each other. Uh, so Necho II, uh, who was the one leading the battle uh, from the Egyptian side, uh, decided to look for the Babylonians, you know, to do the first move and attack. Um, but he didn't expect that uh, the king of Judah was a Babylonian ally and he ambushed them uh, out of nowhere. Uh, the king of Judah lost, but uh, he was able to uh, take some, you know, like human um, resources from the Egyptian side. So um, experts, at least what I read, says that it might be a crucial uh, point for the for what it has been the, the output of the final battle, because the Egyptians were also weaker because of the incident. So when the Egyptians arrived to the battle, to the battle, next to Carchemis, because it was next to Carchemis, and um, they were already like weak. And the Babylonians took advantage of that. And not only that, but the Babylonians were um, ruled by the Egyptian um, prior to that battle. So they had the advantage that they knew how the Egyptian tactics, militarily speaking, worked. So they, they had that advantage too. And of course, the Assyrians were already like, not very strong at that point because the Babylonians took three of their main cities. So it was just something that had to happen if you see the facts, like it was something unavoidable, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny to be like in history as it's happening because the, you, one of the things you said was like, you know, as, as they were right to fear that the Babylonians were gonna come yeah. in and take over everything. And we know with the, you know, publishing of many, many works, including Carchemish 101, that their fear was indeed founded uh, and that Babylonia did come in and just kind of take over everything and do that. But they, they, they tried to fight it, they did. They did, no, they tried their best, but yeah. sometimes you lose. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. And I think the most important thing, historically speaking, in my opinion, most importantly, thing, the most important thing is to not lose the culture behind it, mm -hmm. um, because that's how in you know 2022, Pilar was able to figure out all this information about Carchemish, 
because the culture was left behind and mm. people are still interested in the in the culture even though they clearly um, lost that battle yeah there's a great question of how many other previous empires we don't know about because those pieces were not preserved and we can't get into that because we fully don't know but thank goodness Karkamish was because what a what a fascinating sort of insight to they were correct on all pre they, they knew that the threat was coming it came they lost like but the fact that we know those pieces is so fascinating um because it's not the case for others. So to all of our uh, anthropologists and uh, cultural historians listening in tonight's call, um, if you know or have heard of other empires that are not on our site because maybe their cultural pieces were, were wiped, let us know. We can maybe add to our civilization section, um, continue growing that library. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I know that this battle is, is really the way I have first learned about this um, uh, city, empire. Uh, but I didn't really learn about it as the empire of Carchemish, just a city in this region, but then you know, it was the location of a mega battle. Um, so it's, it, this has been so enlightening to hear all of the other components um, that actually made that battle kind of more devastating in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not yeah. happy about it, but I appreciate the knowledge. So thank you for that. Yeah, which is funny because in key accomplishments, you write about how the topography of the city allowed it to be like a strategic military location. Yeah. yeah. And like, even that didn't help. No, at some point, I mean, you need more than the geographic location. <laughs> <laughs> to be location, fair. location isn't everything. <laughs> yeah, location isn't everything. <laughs> what are hills? <laughs> well, it's also probably when they were targeted on top of their trade geography location, their topography probably helps too. Wow. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think is interesting is the battle is basically the end of the empire, right? 605 BC. Yeah. Um, but obviously it's it's relevance and engagement is still you know, talked about, what, 2,000 years later. Um, I'm curious if there's any sort of, in your you know research of right after the battle, of, as the empire sort of started to take over Carchemish, if there was sort of any like preservation i mean obviously there is we have their uh you know artifacts today but if, if you like read about any of the like preservation cultural heritage process um just out of curiosity really if you even looked into that i mean as long as i know uh, the city kept existing um but it was not definitely was not as influential at least you know right. was during that time and and so but that's the thing. I mean, after the battle, you just have little pieces of information, like saying this, like, you know, the decline of the city started at this point. They, you know, they host some other um, different empires, but not with the same level of importance. And that's it. Like, and I think now Carchemis is a military base, not base, but like a military thing in Turkey, because now the city is in the border with Syria. So yeah, if you, like, I don't know, I was thinking when I first saw that now it's like a military team for Turkey. I so <laughs> I thought like, I don't know, you know how things change. This, literally this piece of land was so important for so many empires and for literally the entire history of a region. And now it's just, I think there's a building or two or three building in the middle of nowhere. Um, for you yeah. being used for military purpose. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's just history, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> to a certain extent. Wow. 
but it's kind of ironic that they were like, oh yes, we'll put our military base in a city who was known for its greatest military defeat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not going to dissect that discussion decision at all. That's just a, a thing that you all now know, listeners. <laughs> Um, well, we're, we're sort of nearing the end here of this fascinating insight. We could keep talking for hours, but don't want to have too long of a call. So, um, Pilar, tell us, you know, any final pieces, uh, really cool info you learned or a, a fun fact or anything else you'd like to share with us as we wrap up this conversation. Well, I recently read that I didn't know, by the time I was doing the research, I didn't know uh, that apparently um, the architecture of the city and the buildings and the constructions were away from um, the kings of the city to express their political, you know, like um, yeah. power or to say, yeah, we are here and you people are here. So you can see that there were this part of the city whose walls were um, built higher because, um, you know, they wanted to differentiate this part from this one. And they started to do, or they use like different rituals to show their power on how the political environment is going to change now. We are going to do some processions or today we're going to do some offering to the gods and sort of, yeah, they use like, they integrate everything uh, at the social life, buildings and political yeah. and yeah. And I didn't know that, but it was interesting. That's funny. I feel like that's almost every empire in that region, in that time period, because like Rome did the same thing. That's why they had so many like triumphal yeah. columns even the arc de triomphe in paris was um a testament to i'm going to show you how great and powerful i am yeah but i mean it's it's cool though because you also have to yeah. wonder how did y'all build that <laughs> yeah and they they also put like different decorations in the gates and in the walls because they wanted to highlight this is the rich part and this is not the rich part and we have to um you know, we, we want you to be aware that not only inside the city, but also with the neighbor cities, like we have this potential, we are this rich and we are using what we have like gold and metals to, you know, make a, an important city and a strong city. Yeah. So, yeah. Fascinating. Uh, ar like ruling by architecture is a phrase I've like, obviously it makes yeah. sense, but I've never really yeah. heard it organized that way. And it's fascinating too. Um, <laughs> Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that extra little bit of info. Look at that. Um, well, thank you again, Pilar and Andy, um, for being here today. What, what a fabulous insight to this pretty well-known battle and then the empire that led up to it, um, or that ended it, at least. Um, so thank you for sharing your, your research and knowledge, Andy, for your fabulous insights, as always. Um, and to you, our listener, for engaging with this uh, really cool, interesting slice of history. Um, we are still many more pieces we did not even get to in this call. And so please jump to our website, alfusaic.net, A-L-F-U-S-A-I-C.net, and explore more about the Kark Commission uh, history, hyperlinks, research, um, you know, get your BCE, Northern Syria, Anatolia knowledge on because uh, it's a fascinating article and great stuff are connected there. So thank you again all for tuning in. We'll wrap up here. Have a uh, wonderful rest of your day. And uh, thanks again, Pilar, for writing this fabulous, fabulous article. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you to you guys. <laughs> thanks, Pilar. Bye. Bye.